My name is Larry Tucker with International Network of Hearts, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. All right, today we have the incredible Larry Tucker from the International Network of Hearts joining us. The International Network of Hearts is a charity in Mexico that helps bring hope, safety, and empowerment to children who have been rescued from sexual slavery. Steve and I have had the pleasure of going and spending some time with Larry, his family, and the children down in the orphanage, and I can tell you, those are some of the most special memories that Steve and I will keep with us forever. The love and compassion that Larry's family has for these kids, as if they're their own, is something you have to see to understand. And after hearing all the horrible stories that these kids have gone through, you understand that it takes a special family to be able to build the trust with them that they have. In this episode, we talk about the larger picture of sex trafficking and how Larry's mom has been invited all over the world to speak on it, even places such as the White House and speak with the United Nations. And she is one of the very few people trained to handle these delicate scenarios. We also go deep into what it is like owning a charity and the struggles they face day to day trying to raise money, keep up with supplies, and still keep a safe space for the kids. This episode is a special one, and I hope after listening, you if you have some spare cash or you're able to make a little bit of a donation, it is something that could really help this family out and really help them move along with their new mission and new model to create a safe house for all the children that they can take in. So I hope you enjoy learning about this incredible nonprofit, the International Network of Hearts. All right. We're excited to welcome back our good friend, Larry Tucker, to the show. Thanks for joining us, Larry. We are excited to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here, Randy. Love love spending time with you guys, chatting it up. So I really appreciate you guys inviting me on the podcast to talk about what we're doing with our nonprofit and excited to get into it. Yeah, man. And this is going to be an audio recording, but for those of you listening, we're all wearing our International Network of Hearts shirts right now, repping pretty hard and it's uh, it's pretty special. So Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit about what International Network of Hearts is, how it got founded and how your family is involved in it. Absolutely. So International Network of Hearts is a nonprofit organization that we started back in 2010. When we first started it, the vision for it back then, nowadays, Thankfully, there's a little bit more attention around the subject of human trafficking and people are starting to kind of wake up to, to realize kind of what's going on, but still not nowhere near where we need to be. But if you think about back in 2010, 12 years ago, it was like nobody knew what human trafficking was, that it was even going on in their area. People thought it was something that just happened in faraway third world countries. It could never happen to my kid. 
And they didn't realize that it was happening in so many cities right here in the U.S., right in our own backyard, how close to home it was really affecting and how big of a problem it was. So back then it was mainly about spreading awareness about the issue, what's happening, getting people to kind of wake up a little bit. My mom thankfully has been trained by at like the highest levels for working with human trafficking victims. So how to recognize a victim, how to approach somebody like that, work with somebody like that, because they are very sensitive cases and, you know, they, they're people that have uh, been promised things and lied to and things like that. So they're, you know, they have threats against them and stuff like that. So you really got to be careful how you work with these people. And my mom has really built up that skill of just being able to make somebody feel like she's really there to help them and to be able to kind of build that trust, but still takes a while, right? So back then it was mainly awareness and prevention. My mom would do trainings. She still does trainings with law enforcement, hotel groups, things like that. So more and more people can help identify victims. And then a few years after that, we started to realize like our buddy Cole Hatter loves to say that nonprofits are very non-profitable and that it was, and that it's tough to raise funds. And to be honest, it's kind of sad, but in the beginning, when we got started in this, people were like, man, human trafficking, like good luck. You know, it's a lot easier to raise money for puppies or pretty much anything else. People are, don't even want to really hear about this, what's going on, much less get involved. And we really did start to see that a lot. You know, we saw that a lot in the beginning. There was just a lot of fear of getting involved, fear of putting people's, you know, that themselves or their families in danger, stuff like that. So, which is un understandable, but the problem just started to become so big that it's like, man, if all of us want to just pretend like we want to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist, it's just continuing to get bigger and bigger. So a few years after that, we were able to open the first home for victims of human trafficking in all of Baja, California for girls that are minors. At that time, there was only one other home in all of Mexico, and that was in Mexico City. And then fast forward about five years ago now, we were able to open the first home for boys that exist in all of Mexico. And that was a really special thing to do. And we can possibly get into that later, but there's a really big reason why and push on why we wanted to get the boys home open. There's really very little to no services for boys. They're kind of like the silent victims that a lot of times don't end up getting the healing that they need. And a lot of times can end up continuing to perpetuate that cycle. So Super grateful to have opened up the boys' home. And then we were also able to open up a transition home for girls after they turn 18 to 24. Once they graduate high school, depending on whether they want to continue their education and go to college or whether they want to get a career, we help support them in that so that they can reintegrate into society successfully and get their life started depending on what, you know, what their dreams are. Dude, that's so cool. And I, I'm so grateful to hear that you guys have so much awareness around it. And Steve and I were fortunate enough to come spend some time with your family down in the orphanages. And it's one of the most magical things. And I know you guys have been invited to go to the White House and other things like that for such advocacy for what you're doing. Where is it today? So obviously you're just talking about, you know, there's nothing back in the day, but now you're getting some awareness for it and it's starting to get out there. Is that something that's starting to become a little bit more out there, are people starting to recognize it? Are people wanting to support these kinds of missions or is it still pretty quiet swept under the rugs? I think it's gotten definitely a lot more traction. There's other nonprofits as well that are doing a really good job of shining a light on this to, to really show people what's going on and some bigger people that are getting behind it. I think obviously there's still a big need for more support and more people to come around it. And we're not going to be able to completely eliminate the problem until you know we do have that majority support and everybody's really involved. So it is a big effort, but I definitely have noticed progression in how many people are getting involved, the level of support, 
Thankfully, when my mom got started in this in Mexico, there wasn't even a law against human trafficking. So there wasn't even a way to really put somebody in jail that was trafficking women. And my mom was part of the group of people that passed the first law in Mexico. How many years ago it's been, but it's probably been about 10, 12, 10 years or so at least. But she was part of the group that actually passed the law and put the first trafficker in jail. So that was like just kind of coming from from literally not even being able to put somebody like this in prison to, to now really having the first trafficker in jail and the law enforcement starting to get more involved and really putting people away for this sort of thing and they're being punishment. So that, that's a big, that was a big step. And, you know, even so just, I have seen more homes, but it's still now today in the U S it's tough. We would love to open up a home here in the U S and that's kind of on our radar for the next thing to be able to open up a San Diego home. A lot of times my mom can get a call for a victim or some crazy like situation in the middle of the night, in the morning, at any time. So there's a big need right now for like emergency shelters when a victim is just rescued, getting them emergency shelter and services for them. Sometimes they have young babies or kids. Um, you know, there's very few. I remember about three months ago, my mom was working with a victim and it was like impossible to find her housing here. It was, it took us like two and a half weeks before she finally got approval for housing up in LA. So there's a big need. There's very few beds here in the U.S. for victims, definitely a lot less than there needs to be. So we definitely have work to do, but it has been progressing. And hopefully with the more people becoming involved, it can be more of an exponential growth where we can do more faster. Well, it boggles my mind that, that there wasn't a law for it. I think that's just profoundly wrong back then. But thank you for catching us up. And so just out of curiosity, like from a, like a numbers perspective, the amount of kids or families that you've helped and saved, is it in the tens, dozens, hundreds, thousands where at this point, since we've gotten started, just like depending on whether, if it's just victims that we've been able to impact, whether it's actually taking them into like La Casa en Parvin in Rosarito, Mexico, or even just providing services here in the U.S. or kind of like temporary shelter and transportation. Definitely at this point, we've been able to impact at least well over a hundred victims and that number continues to grow for sure. That's amazing, man. Human trafficking, I guess back in the day when we first met five years ago or six years ago or whatever it was, and you told me about this mission, it felt almost like taboo to talk about almost. How has your, like your awareness and your marketing changed over the years? Or how are you even marketing it today? And do you still feel that like, let's keep this hush type of thing out there? Yeah, it's definitely still a taboo subject. And it's kind of like, that's always been a tough kind of line to be able to make sure that we're walking, you know, carefully is like, how much of these stories do we share? Because I remember when my mom, when we first started working with victims, my mom would tell me these stories and it was just like, Man, sometimes it would be like, I actually got to a point where I told my mom, you know what? I'd rather you just not tell me what happened at, like for a little while. And I'd rather just like, it's, I'd rather not have those images or thoughts in my head when I'm, you know, talking to them or trying to build a relationship with them. So for a while, I was just like, you know, I'd rather you not tell me so I can understand why sometimes people want to just pretend like it doesn't exist because it's, you know, once you know about it, you really feel like you have to do something about it. Right. So just because of the relationship that I try to keep with the kids, I try to, you know, just be there for them, like as a brother type figure, just give them love, give them support, you know, that sort of thing. And as, as far as our marketing, you know, <clears throat> we, I, I would say we don't really show too much of like the really gruesome stuff. You know, we have a lot of the kids that we have when we're, you know, making posts or whatever, we have to blur out their faces because they're, they're in cases where a lot of times they're testifying against the person that 
traffic them and things like that. So, you know, the location of the home, as you guys know, is like, you know, anonymous and people don't know where the girls are, who the girls are, stuff like that. So, you know, we try it lately as far as marketing goes, we've just tried to showcase more of like the stories of the girls as far as like the impact that the house has made for them and kind of like where they're at now, what types of things that they're doing daily at the house, the activities that they like to do, and just trying to really get at first, as you guys know, giving them that space and opportunity to just kind of heal and be kids and start to find what their passions are because a lot of times when they come, they, they've been robbed of that opportunity to even be kids and start to discover those. So they don't even know. And they're kind of starting to play for the first time and start to discover some of those things. Very cool. When you first started the podcast, you said nonprofits are not profitable. And uh, yeah. I've talked a little bit about marketing. How are you guys like, so uh, this is just going to move to like a little bit of the business side. Like, like, how do you guys raise your money right now? How do you get money in? Are you getting, you know, is it fully government funded? Is it funded by local donors? Is it funded by celebrities? How are you guys continuing to grow and expand as a nonprofit? Yeah, absolutely. So it's definitely not government funded. Unfortunately, there is no government funding whatsoever as far as on the side in Mexico for us right now. The US side, we really don't receive too much support from the government, although we have started. It does take like I would say after the point where we've really been doing this for 10 years, it takes that amount of time for, you know, other organizations or government organizations, things like that to actually kind of start really believing the legitimacy of what you're doing, kind of having that good track record and everything like that. So, you know, at that point I did notice like right now, my mom has been working on more grants. We thankfully just got a grant with the United Nations where my mom's been able to build a really good relationship with the United Nations. And as far as what she's doing in the work of human trafficking, and like you said, with the White House. So some grants that are kind of starting to come now, but by the large majority of support that we've had has literally been like individual donors. It's been like when we, we all met at Thrive and our buddy Cole taught us about creating for purpose businesses. So it's people that have, that I've been able to meet or that have come to our organization that, that are entrepreneurs that have their businesses that have decided to donate a percentage of their revenue to the nonprofit, which is huge because having a monthly donation that we can count on is massive for a nonprofit organization individual donors that are donating either one time or on a monthly basis. We have some companies that are donating regularly as well, supplies, things like that too. Like I said, the government kind of grants are kind of far and few between. It really comes down to mostly individual donors, businesses, events that we put on and fundraisers and stuff like that as well, campaigns. So it really is a collective effort of the community and the community worldwide as well that has come along to to help support this for sure. It's so hard for us to watch and see that. You'd think it'd just be something as simple as getting some government funding. I mean, one of the cool things is just being a part of a mastermind with you for five years. We saw a lot of businesses jump on board and want to support you. And part of that was because you guys were so willing and open to share and you know bringing the right people down to see what it is that you guys are creating and sharing that story and being a little bit more open. And I just appreciate you bringing some light to that conversation about what we're trying to preach of like, you know, people like you can't survive unless people like us take our businesses and use it to give back and do good in this world. And so I guess one of my other questions along the way is, you know, when you start doing the fundraising at events and stuff like that, what are some of the things that you're doing to help increase the donations that are coming in? What are some fun things you guys are doing to try and grow that outside of, you know, where businesses that are donating, what type of events are you guys hosting to raise more capital for your organization? 
Yeah, for sure. So we put on all kinds of different types of events. And what you said, I 100% resonate with. I remember when we were first starting out in this, you know, I was really young. I was like probably 17 years old or so, maybe even a little younger. And when we were first getting started, and I remember just the frustration of like what we were doing, because at that time I was just so into more of the philanthropy side of things. I actually like wanted to be a pastor. I was doing a lot of missions, work, stuff like that. And I was just so focused on that. But the money was always so limiting and it was always like, man, we want to do this, but we, you know, we don't have the money. We put on a fund back then we put on a fundraiser event at a nice hotel in Tijuana and we invite people that were like the socialites of the area and all this sort of stuff. And I remember how frustrating it would be. We'd end up raising very little to no money. We'd barely cover the cost of the event. And it would be like crushing to think like, man, all we're trying to do is like help people. And it's such an uphill battle and it's so difficult and it's so limited by money you know, this one thing that's holding us back from being able to do all the work that we want to do. So that's kind of what actually gave me the conviction at that time. I was like, you know what? I just want to go out there and make as much money as I possibly can so that I don't have to depend on other people and asking people for money so that we could just do what we want to do type of thing. So that's when I went almost like the other way, really into the entrepreneurship side, business, real estate, and that sort of thing. And I was like, I'd want to be able to make enough to just support it. And I feel like when an organization gets to that point, it's it's like, sadly, good and bad, but it's like, when it gets to that sort of point, more people want to kind of come around and help. But it's almost like when people see that you're kind of a struggling nonprofit and that sort of thing, it's like, it's harder to get that support, right? Which it kind of sometimes hopefully should be kind of the other way around, but you kind of have to make it through those years and then, you know, build that trust and credibility. But so we, you know, we've going back to what types of events we've had all kinds of events from that, where we put on, you know, a nice hotel and they, thankfully we've been able to grow those into galas that have been a lot nicer. We just had one about six months ago in, in Newport beach. That was a nice gala where we were able to raise a good amount of funds. And that was put on by uh, somebody that's just, that loves our organization, what we're doing. And she just wanted to put on her own event to be able to fundraise. We had an event about a year ago now where it was like this a very well-off family hosted a a really nice dinner at their estate here in La Jolla, San Diego, and invited all their friends at right right at the end of the tax season when people had to give their tax deductions and stuff like that. And so it was like, I talked about the vision of what we're trying to do, build a forever home for these kids to have permanent housing and be able to have more services, more kids. And we were actually able to raise just uh, right about $100,000 at that dinner, which was awesome because it's like... Mm -hmm low cost, you know, and everything like that. And just being able to maximize the actual donations that are coming in. So, you know, even smaller events like that, sometimes even people just doing little birthday fundraisers, because just because even if it's just on Facebook and sometimes people raise thousand, few thousand bucks and it's very low cost. So, you know, it's just maximizing the donation amounts, really truly going to as much as possible to providing services for the kids and everything like that. So, you know, different events like that. My mom even puts on, we host community events that don't raise that much money, but do a lot of awareness where we do like a 5k race in downtown Tijuana every single year. And we built that up to like 800 to 900 people show up every year to do a, like a 5k run and all, you know, all through the streets of Tijuana where it's all blocked off and we're raising a ton of awareness. So, you know, things like that. And then obviously along with also businesses that have been donating and just really, it's been a community aspect of like my, my kind of technique for it was, I was like, you know, maybe I should just have people show people what we're doing. Like when I brought you guys down, like just come take a trip with me and spend a day with the kids, see what we're doing for yourself. And that's kind of really been a good tactic for us because people really see firsthand what we're doing, connect with the kids. They see 
you know, for themselves, wow, this is actually, you know, they actually do have kids. They actually are doing these things. And then they kind of become like raving fans that go in their, you know, spheres of influence and communities to bring more, you know, awareness and support and stuff like that too. So, so thankfully that's been a huge support. It's just people that have come alongside to support and spread that in, in their networks and their groups. That is incredible, dude. Congratulations on the awareness that you've gained. You know, the run is a really cool idea. I want to be a part of that because, you know, me, I'm a runner. Yeah. You know, the 100K event, that's incredible too. You know, you mentioned a forever home. I want to ask you about that. What's the plans of INH in the future? I know you got some big dreams and some big goals. I want you to share that with us. Yeah, man. So, you know, sadly, an issue that we've had since the beginning is that we have never really had permanent housing for the kids. It's always been kind of temporary situations that we've had. Like in the beginning, we had uh, in Mexico, if, if like a drug lord gets arrested and they seize all their properties and stuff, if they're pretty much never going to get them back after like 10 years or so, they'll pretty much say, okay, it's going to be like an abandoned property. We'll subsidize it and rent it to a nonprofit for a low rent so that they could either have like an orphanage or something like that there which is kind of cool. So we ended up doing something like that, where it was a fourplex that was abandoned for 10 years and they ripped out everything from the plumbing to, I mean, everything it was just concrete walls. So we raised some support to, to rally together some funds and some help support from churches and got a bunch of volunteers out there and built it out to the point where we were actually able to start taking on our first kids we took on in that home. And probably like six months into once we were able to get things going, one of the people that owned that property previously saw the work that was done to it and everything like that. And they went to like appeal to try to get the rights to the property and they actually ended up winning. So we got kicked out of that house and had no housing for the kids. Right. So it was like, dang, that was crushing. It was like, man, another situation where it's like, we're just trying to, you know, do this to support the kids. And it's like hurdles that you end up running up against. So. At that point, it's like, man, do we get into another situation like this where they could just take us out again? And I remember thinking like, we, we need to get like a permanent housing situation that nobody could take away from us and that sort of thing in the future. So, you know, we don't have issues like that. And then long story short, we ended up connecting with a philanthropist who ended up doing a golf tournament to raise some funds, did a matching donation, purchased a home, and he was going to donate it to us to be able to have for the kids. And then he kind of kept putting off, like putting it in the name of the nonprofit and stuff like that. And then he got to a point where he was like, you know what? I don't think that you should do this work with human trafficking. Nobody really cares about that. You should focus on domestic violence. And my mom was like, well, no, that's precisely why we're doing this work is because nobody supports these kids. And this is what we want to do. This is our mission. We're not going to change it. And he's like, okay, well then you guys need to leave the house or, and I'm going to put somebody in there that does want to do it. You know, just kind of typical, like figured out that this is just a kind of wealthy man that feels like he has the power to just kind of control everything around him and tell, you know, kind of push people around. And unfortunately in Mexico, when you have money and you have a lot of power, you can, you know, get away with a lot more. So <clears throat> we've been actually fighting this case in court for the past three, almost four years, because in Mexico, you can appeal it at different courts and stuff like that. And so it's kind of like a situation where you know, we've thought that we were, we'd have to leave the house next month at one point, but we've been able to kind of stay longer. So it's just kind of like a looming thing. That's like, we don't really, it's not permanent. We don't really know when we're going to have to leave, but at some point we are right. So that's really what kicked off the fundraising efforts to be able to actually raise funds to buy land in Mexico, and then to be able to secure financing, to be able to build a permanent home there. That would be in the name of the nonprofit that obviously couldn't get taken away, that we could, you know, be able to have more kids and really count on something that's going to be permanent. 
That would be super cool. And I know you guys are going to be able to accomplish that. And I know it's something that you've been working really hard on for a lot of years to be able to create. And I see it coming down the pipeline very soon. And it's going to be super magical. And one of the things as a donor coming in and donating charities is you don't really know who to donate with, right? There's so many charities out there. There's so many different things. So just on like a general charity question, like how does someone go about vetting a charity to make sure that their dollars are actually being put to good use and not just paying for someone's Ferrari, but are actually going towards causes and maybe just dive in a little bit into that. I don't know how much you can speak to that, but how do you vet a good charity? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one. And I wish there was more ways to really showcase that. There there are some tools. I know that there's a website called Charity Navigator that's supposedly kind of vets organizations to show like, okay, what percentage goes towards admin fees, things like that, right? But also things like that, you kind of have to be big enough to be able to to get listed on a website like that, where depending like where they you provide them all the financials to be able to vet you and everything like that. So We've been working to try to get more exposure on that just to be, have everything really fully transparent because we really believe that like literally all the money that gets donated goes towards providing services for these kids, providing housing and supplies for these kids. So, you know, we really just want to be as transparent as possible so that people know where their donations are going. You know, even one thing that we've been able to change now is when you do donate on our website, you can either choose to donate to like general purpose to be able to sustain the expenses for the home. You can choose to have your money go towards specific activities or projects and things like that. So you know exactly where your funds are going. So I think that's been pretty cool because sometimes people don't want their donation to go towards like ongoing expenses that you need for the house. They really have a passion for sports or for different activities or performing arts, things like that. And they want their donation to to go directly towards something that they're passionate about, which is also why we started little program called passion for passion, where if you have a passion about some sort of activity or something, you can either donate your time or money to be able to provide those services for the kids. And that's allowed us to be able to have yoga, different types of therapy, art therapy classes with the kids, different physical activities and things like that as well. So it's been pretty cool. Awesome, man. I, I want to jump back quickly into one thing you, that you mentioned was that you run a charity and your family is very involved in it. And you thought you were going to go down that route of being in charity, but then you found entrepreneurism or building a business is actually maybe a faster way to create that revenue to, to support the charities. How can entrepreneurs start thinking better that way? Like, I know we are a part of a, a mastermind and stuff, but what are some ways that you can start inspiring people with that mission as somebody that owns a charity yourself and trying to mix in the way that we can do business differently? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a lot of really cool, creative ways to be able to integrate a giving aspect into your business, whether it's doing like a one-for-one -one model where people are purchasing something and then you're donating that item to somebody in need or whatever your company is choosing to support. I think now more than ever, even just with more businesses are starting to do it and more people are wanting to see their dollars going to those sorts of businesses. So I think we're starting to see more support, thankfully, for that. And hopefully it continues to trend in that direction. But I think that when people know that you're in embracing giving as part of your company culture and your vision and truly making an impact in the community, that just creates another level of customers or clients that like raving fans, people that are going to be raving about you, the work that you're doing. And for us, for me and in, in my business, I, I do real estate mortgages, real estate investments, but it, the nonprofit organization has actually allowed me to get into you know, situations or deals and things like that, that I most likely for sure would not have gotten into if it wasn't for the work that I'm doing with INH, right? So 
that I'm super grateful for that. And that wasn't something that I thought about as I was getting into INH, that it might help me with different ventures and things like that. But it truly has. And I think just when people see that you have a heart for giving and you're actually trying to make an impact, they want to support you in what you're doing and in other ventures that you have going on as well. So it allows you to get into connect with people also on a different level. You're not just, I mean, I love real estate. I love talking deals and money, but at the end of the day, it's not always just about that. And when you get to connect with somebody about life experience and how giving has made an impact on their lives or how they've been able to impact people around them. It's, it just allows you to connect with somebody and get to know someone on a deeper level, I believe. So yeah, I think that doing as far as a business, either doing a one-for-one model or doing something where you're donating even 1%. And a lot of times you could even bake that into the into the sales price so that it's not affecting your bottom line and you could still make a tremendous impact. Even just giving people an opportunity to be able to to donate, like our buddies, Milan and Greg that run an e-commerce store, they've been generous enough to donate a percentage of their sales to INH and what they're doing every single month, which has been huge for us. And I know something that they're doing is like when somebody completes a purchase at checkout, it's saying like, Hey, even though you didn't choose to do, this is just something that we're choosing to do as a company. A percentage of your purchase just went to support this awesome organization. This is what they're doing. If you'd like to check them out, here's some more info. And then that allows those people to even donate more than on, on their own or to be able to get connected, to be able to provide support in a way that they want to be able to provide support. Right. So I think there's a lot of cool ways to get involved, make an impact. And I think when you choose to do so, the ROI is tenfold for sure. And you get a human ROI out of that one too. It's just like, it's that exactly. souls, man. It's incredible. And yep. I, w- I want to ask you a little bit about that connectivity and something that really actually shocked me when I visited you at the house in the orphanage the first time was just how incredibly happy all the kids were. And when I was going down there, I had no idea what to expect. To be honest, I was like, shoot, this is going to be a little, like a little weird. And when we got down there, man, like the energy that was in that house, in that room, it was electric. Like kids were coming up, giving us hugs, like playing games, you know, gringo this and gringo that, and just like moving mm-hmm. around. And we went out and we played soccer, we, we danced and we sang. And there was, you know, I came on a Sunday, so we had church the one day. And it just, it blew my mind that these young boys and girls who have lived such just a horrible experience were able to celebrate a day like that. And I just want to ask me, like, what is it about? International Network of Hearts that really brings that to life. How is that even possible? For sure. I, it makes me happy to hear you say that was your experience at the home. And it's been cool to see that people have experienced that time and time again. Like you said, nobody really knows what to expect when they're coming. They think that they're going to see a bunch of like depressed kids or something like that. And that's really not the case. I mean, obviously the kids go through stages and depending on what day you come, there might be kids there that have been there for a day. There might be kids that have been there for five to eight years, right? So their level of kind of like where they're at in their healing and their development is all very different. You know, when they do come at first, they come in with just the clothes on their back, tattered clothes, just looking at no direct eye contact. A lot of time, just looking down, you know, not really taking care of themselves, that sort of thing. So, you know, the hygiene even. And so it really comes down to that. My mom does a really good job of caring for these girls and boys as if they're her girls and boys, you know, everything from the hygiene and getting them cleaned up and feeling good the way, you know, from the way you smell, the way you feel, the way you look, all those things really start to play a role in their confidence. And as they start to feel better, you start to see, 
you know, their personalities develop a little bit more. You start to see them open up a little bit more and that sort of thing. So I think it really just comes down to being genuine in the work that we're trying to do and just provide a loving, caring, safe space for these kids. Just provide love to them without expecting anything in return from them. And for a lot of kids, that's the first time that they've ever felt love like that. So they, you know, sometimes it could be really hard at first, but usually when they've been there for a few months and they start to see like, they start to open up and trust a little more and see like, okay, these people aren't going to hurt me. And, you know, I actually am safe here and that sort of thing. You just start to see that unfold. And also now that we, it's, we're blessed that since we've been going on for so many years now, there's such a good culture there with the kids that have been there longer that the process of when the kids first get there to where you start to see this transformation start to happen is a lot quicker than it used to be because that culture is so ingrained and the older girls are helping out the younger girls. A newer girl will come and a lot of the other girls will try to connect with that girl and see if there's anything that she needs or you know, kind of tell her like, Hey, I was right where you're at not long ago. Like if, you know, somebody to confide in that has been through what you've been through that now you could see has kind of started to make it through the other end and you can kind of see, they can see the difference in them and, you know, the examples and some of the older girls. And I think that's what it comes down to a lot of times for us to be able to really tr make a transformation like that is being able to have the belief that we can do it ourselves first, right? So I think that having that proof of concept of the other girls gives them the ability to actually believe like, hey, this, I could actually, you know, maybe that could be me one day. I could actually maybe overcome something like this. And they could just get that proof of concept to believe at first. And then, you know, little by little, you just start to see that transformation and how they start to develop. And it's truly an amazing thing, man, because it's night and day difference, totally different person. And if they wouldn't have had that opportunity, you know, to receive that, they could have, there could be a lot of different outcomes for their life. Right. So, yeah, like the, you hit it on the head a second ago, of just like the love in that room just felt tangible. It was thick. It was there. It was as soon as we walked in the door, it was an incredible experience. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it still. And I really enjoyed those days that I spent down there with you and the family and the kids. And I want to ask it too, before we transition into our rapid fire, give around here. Is there an experience that you have around giving that gives you goosebumps? There is there. Yeah, there's quite a few, man. Thankfully, I've been blessed with quite a few experiences that have really impacted my life. But I would say one of, one of the ones that really and I don't even know if it's really like a happy one, but it was just, it gave me goosebumps because it really impacted me and it really long-term. I mean, it's something that I still remember. I was probably like 12 years old and my parents used to take us down during the holidays to different orphanages, my brother and I to kind of give gifts. My dad was an orphan. So it was always important for him to give back to other orphans. And my mom was from Tijuana, but a lot of times she kind of had the nervousness of like at that time, Tijuana was very unsafe. Even she didn't feel like it was maybe the best decision to go down, but, you know, she saw how important it was for my dad and my brother and I really got into it. So, you know, she decided to take us. And I remember just that was one of the first times where I was really exposed to kids that were in impoverished situations when I'm over here growing up in like U.S., first class, everything. And then being exposed to kids 20 minutes just right across the border that are living a completely different life from me and just worried about survival and that sort of thing was very impactful. And I remember we went to one orphanage where we were able to meet a young boy that I got to connect with. And we were just kind of, he showed, was showing me his room, showing me his toys and stuff like that, that he had there. He had a few toys and I was just kind of trying to make him feel better. It wasn't like the greatest or anything like that situation, maybe just a few toys, but to try to make him feel better, I was kind of just like, hey man, this is awesome. Like you have an awesome room here. 
like, wow, your toys are so cool. Like, you know, so many cool toys, this and that. And he just kind of looked at me and said, you know, I would trade these toys to be able to have a family like you that you came here with like anytime, you know, and I would trade it like right now. Right. And that just hit me like, oh my gosh, like, you know, he's seeing me here with my mom, my dad, my brother and everything. And all he would want is to be able to have an opportunity to be a part of a family like that. And that was just like crushed me. But I think that was an experience that I had to really go through and live to, to be able to recognize how extremely blessed I was and to be able to make it important in my life to be able to pay that forward and help other kids that weren't so blessed, right? With that. Man, what a special story and what a special experience that was. And just puts a lot into perspective of materialistic stuff versus just the thought of love is sometimes all people really want. So that's pretty special. Absolutely. I want to jump into our giving round here as we finish up the final part of this interview. Some rapid fire questions, quick answer. You ready to go? Yeah, ready. All right. What is your favorite activity to do at the orphanage? Oh, dancing for sure. <laughs> thousand percent. We get more excited. The ability to donate a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping others. Oof. Both of those are huge. I get to spend a lot of time with the kids and I've never had the opportunity to be able to feel what it feels like to give a million dollar check. I've, both are awesome, but I would say that I've never been able to have the opportunity to write a million dollar check. So that would that's like my next goal and that would feel pretty awesome to, to make an impact like that because I know how big of an impact that could make for an organization or, might, or a lot of kids. Might build a nice little forever home for the kids. Exactly. I know what it could do. So that could give <laughs> a, a lot of time. <laughs> Who inspires you with their giving? Whew. So many people inspire me with their giving, but my mom was really the first person that I just saw that was always giving, you know, every last bit of herself, her energy and saw everything from, you know, her time, her you know, sacrificing so many things in her personal life to be able to give to the nonprofit and to, to other victims, to, to kids and things like that in general. So definitely my mom was a big inspiration that I think fueled me to really get into this. What is a for-purpose business that you like and love? For-purpose business that I like and love? Man, there are so many now at this point. <laughs> but I would say, well, obviously the ones that I love are the ones that are, the ones that are supporting INH right now, which are awesome. So I would have to say Open Hearth is my, one of my favorites right now. Nice. Love that, dude. What do you think of when you hear go big to give big? I think that you need to become and fulfill your potential and become the biggest and greatest version of yourself. Because I think that if you can build that and offer it to the world, that's going to be the biggest blessing. And to me, that just means, you know, be all you can be so that you can set an example so that others can be all that they can be and inspire others around you. Nicely said, dude. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Ooh, fulfillment. Fulfillment. Great word. And the final question, man. Excited to hear your answer for this one. Do you believe that money can buy you happiness? You know what? I do believe that money can provide a lot more options and it can definitely help with a lot of things. So I think that you can buy happiness with money in some ways. You can give a lot. You can change somebody's life. And, you know, I don't think that there's anything that can bring you more happiness and truly changing someone's life. And you can do that with money. So I do think so. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing about your orphanage and doing all that. And I just want to give you a minute or two just to share how people can get connected to INH. Where can they find out how to donate? How can they get involved? Things like that. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, <clears throat> Facebook, 
Our website is www.inhearts.org, like INH, but just inhearts.org. So you can, you know, learn all about us directly on our website, on social media. Instagram is I Network of Hearts for our Instagram, Facebook, International Network of Hearts. You can find us there as well. So yeah, any of those platforms, you can connect with us pretty easily and find opportunities to, to get involved. If people wanted to donate, was that primarily on the website? Yes. So www.inhearts.org, hit donate. And there's like a donate now button. And you can either do like a one-time donation, sign up for a monthly donation, and even sign up, a, sign up with a form that will allow you to provide other services, not just monetary donations. So if there's other, something else that you'd like to provide time, you know, or other things, supplies, you know, there's always ongoing supplies. A lot of people that listen to this might have kids, you know, one, two or three, we have over 20 at any given time. So we're always going through supplies and things like that. You could imagine, you know, a household goes through. So tons of different ways to get involved, even if it's not donating money, you know, a lot of ways you can make an impact. And I just love chatting with you every time I feel so inspired. And thank you so much, Larry, for coming in and inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can give bigger with our profits, man. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure for me as well. Thank you guys. Thanks, dude. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can. And it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.